but you cannot tell that you're off course. You got just veered off. We're looking at this from two point of views. The first one, first one is from contentment. Satan has two goals in this area. Two goals in the area of contentment. We're going to get over to Philippians chapter 4 in just a moment. But he has two goals in this area. First, to get you to become discontent with what God has given you. That is a goal that he will have. He will give you things and his goal, or God will give you things, but Satan's goal is to take those things that God has given you and cause you to become discontent by seeing them differently. By seeing them in light of how other people or what they have received, where other people are. And we begin to compare what other people have to what I have and it doesn't seem to be as good. He wants to get us to be discontent with what God has given to us. And content with what God has not. He wants us to become discontent with what God has given, but to become content with what God has not given to us. Because if I am content with the things He has not given and discontent with the things that He has given, it is real easy for me to get off course. To go in a different direction. And no longer believing the things that God has said, but doubting the things that God has said. And I don't even realize that I'm doubting the wrong things. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 10, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly, that now at last your care for me has flourished again. Though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Speaking about sending, them, sending him some support money. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Nevertheless, you have done well that you have shared in my distress. Let's look at this verse in light of these two things, these two goals that Satan has to do with us in our life as far as contentment is concerned. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. Look at his words carefully. There's a lot of verses in this section that we tend to pull out from their context. But here's the, here's the whole context. First off, they had shared with him as far as support was concerned to help him in, in the ministry that he was doing. And they had sent some money along. They had been doing it. They got in a place where they weren't able to for a little while. Uh, and he said they lacked opportunity. But now they had the opportunity, whatever that brought that opportunity around. They uh, seized upon it and they gave him another offering. Not that I speak in regard to need. Now, think of Paul in this situation. If he's out there in another place, some, some new spot, and he has no support coming from these people and maybe some others, would that create a need on Paul's end? But what does he say? What does he say? Not that I speak in regard to need. I want you to think about this. How often do we speak ourselves in regard to need? How many times do we speak in regard to, I don't have this. My blank isn't as good as so-and-so's. I could use an upgrade. This could be better. What am I speaking in? Regard to need. 
when I fall into this thing where I am speaking in regard to need, well, you know, life would be good except, well, I need, well, I, this, this could improve. When I get into that spot, I am off track. And Satan has got me in one of two things. He's either got me to become discontent with what God has given me, or he has got me to become content with what God has not. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, for I have learned. What does it mean to learn something? It means you didn't know it before. Exactly. I didn't know it before, but I have learned. If Paul needed to learn this, how many of y'all think we can probably learn it too? Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state I am in to be content. So, if you look at the whole verse here, what he's saying is, you weren't able to support me for a little while, and now you are. Not that I'm speaking in regard to need, things that I need, for I have learned in whatever state, what states is he talking about here? State of lacking things or having abundance of things. Whatever state I am in to be content. Whatever state I am in in regard to need or abundance. If I have, if he has offerings coming in to well support the ministry, great. If he has a lack of it and he has need of stuff, I don't speak according to need. And I will be content there. Now, gets even better. I know how to be what? I know how to be without stuff. Boy, sometimes we've got to learn how to be without stuff, you know? Because as soon as we're without something, well, God's let me down. Well, God messed up on something. I know how to be abased. And I know how to abound. How does he know how to be abased? And how does he know how to abound? He already told us. Because he learned it. He learned it. There are lessons that God wants to teach us in regards to things that whether we abound or whether we have need, we can be content. Whatever it is that we abound in, whatever it is we have need of, we can be content. Now, you can find content people. If you talk to content people, they don't speak out of need. You find content people, they speak out of vision. They speak out of direction of where they're going. They speak out of what God's teaching them. People that are in need speak out of things that they lack. They speak out of things they don't have. Things that didn't go so well. Hurts. Bad experiences, all these sort of things. These are people that are speaking out of need. Now, how many of your minds go and you can already think of people in your life? Boy, that's a needy person right there. They're always, every time they talk, they're always speaking out of. And don't just think, well, you know, people in ministry, they don't have this problem. Paul says, I learned it. I learned it. Now, we've been involved in some some uh, times we've gotten, gotten off with some other ministers. You know, we go into some of the places over in uh, back in Tulsa and Winter Bible Seminar, we get to meet up with a, with a whole lot of times. And there are some people that we get together with, and all they talk about is need. And they'll wear you out. 
They'll wear you out. Because the one thing, you know, talking to people that are not ministers, it's easier to help them. But you see, a lot of times ministers have all the answers. <laughs> so you can't help them. You just sit there, you listen, and you just don't want to keep on going. And then you talk to other ones. And it's like, oh, God's doing this. Oh, I was learning this about. And they're just talking about. And it's so different. It's night and day. It's like, wow. This is different. Paul learned how to not speak out of the state of need. He learned it. If Paul learned it, we can learn it. If Paul needed to learn it, we need to learn it. I got to learn how to not speak out of need. I know how to be abased. How do we learn that? God, he, God taught him how to learn to do without stuff. Because as soon as you are without something, the devil wants to get you focused on you are without it. You have a lack. You have need. He wants to get you to focus on that. And he's going to get you distracted. Discontent. Content with the wrong things. Discontent with the right things. He's going to get you off course. But you won't know it because you're still going in a direction. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things... He says this again. Everywhere and in all things, I have learned both to be full and to be hungry. Both to abound and to suffer need. He learned it. He learned how to make his contentment not hinge upon his supply demand. He learned how to do that. My contentment is not based upon my supply or the demands that are on my life. I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer. Now, verse 13, everyone knows this verse. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Don't we all know that verse? This is the context, people. This is where it came from. I have learned... How to abound and how to have need. How to be full and how to be hungry. I learned. What did he learn? You do not have to learn how to be hungry. Do you? We learned that when first born. We know, no one taught it to us. We knew exactly how to be hungry. He's not learning how to be hungry. He's learning how to be content whether he's hungry or whether he's full. Whether he abounds or whether he has need, he has learned how to be content. So there's a process that we can learn, but not if we don't know it's there. Now here is one of the keys. Verse 13. I can do all things through Christ, through Christ who strengthens me. In other words, if there is a need in my life, I don't sit there and go, oh, God, oh, dear Lord, oh, 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 oh. No, I don't do that. I say, Father God, we can get this done. We can get this done. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So if there is a lack on my part or anything, glory to God. Christ can strengthen me. Father God, I'm hungry. I don't got any food around. That's all right. You can strengthen me. Let's go. It doesn't matter if he's got abundance. It doesn't matter if he's got lack. No matter what it is, we can keep on going. And we can do the thing. 
I've told you stories of my grandfather before, but he used to be one of those ones that would teach us some of these things. These things. He taught it to my mom. My mom taught it to us. My grandfather taught it to us. My dad taught it to us. We all learned this from just about everybody. There is no reason not to get something done. There's no reason to not get anything done. There's no good reason. Now, we, when we were little, we were kids. We had reasons why we didn't get things done. You know, why didn't you get the lawn? Well, I couldn't start the lawnmower. Well, we didn't have any gas. Yeah, there's always, you can always find excuses, can't you? You can always find reasons. You can always find something. There's, there's a reason for it. But, you know, we got this, you know, dad, mom, grandpa, they're all out there. They're all teaching us stuff. No, no, you can get it done. Grandpa, he would be out there. He was crippled on crutches. And he would carry, he would bring TVs from the first floor to the second floor. TVs. These are the big ones with the tubes and all that sort of stuff. These are not the, you know, the, the ones they have today. These are the ones that had everything in it was, was tubes. And he'd take them upstairs and he'd take them downstairs. And then, you know, sometimes we'd come over to help him and then we would help him and he would yell at us. Why are you doing it that way? Why fight against gravity? Let gravity work for you. Always, he would tell us that all the time. <laughs> and he, he, would, he would teach you, my parents would teach us, there's not a reason not to get something done. But see, so often in our Christian life, we haven't learned how to have need and how to have abundance and still get the thing done. Too often we look at what we don't have. Well, I can't get this done because I don't have this. So I'll just wait till it shows up. No, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That means whenever we face a situation in which my supply is not up to the task at hand, what do I say? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In other words... There's another way to do it outside of the way I'm thinking. And Father God, I thank you that you strengthen me. I thank you that you give me the wisdom. I thank you that you give me the ability. We will get the thing done. We will accomplish it. And you've and you got to get out there and you've got to do this. And I'm sure we all have stories of times, the times that we have been in situations where it looked like it was impossible. How many have been there? It looked like it's impossible. Now, you've got two choices in those situations. It looks like it's impossible. It looks like this can't get done. This, there's no way this is happening. It's, uh-uh. You can either give up, well, I guess I can't do this, or you can say, let's find a way to do this. And we say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because the context of this is to be able to get things done, whether you have something or whether you don't. I love that uh, movie. I've talked about it before. Apollo 13. Favorite scene. They bring all the engineers that worked on the thing into the room and they dump on the table everything that's in the, uh, the, whatever, the, the Apollo, the, the, the ship they have up there. They dump it all on the table and they say, all right, we've got to make this fit into this using this. And not one of them, I don't know if it happened during life that way, but not one of them stood there and said, yeah, but we need... They all understood what we have to work with is here because that's all they got. And we need to come up with a way to make this fit into there. And they found it. And they got it done. And that was the CO2 filter. They had to get to fit. And, of course, they changed things from there. They made sure that all the CO2 filters fit on both sides of the, air, uh, the, the spaceship, not just uh, have a square one over here and a round one over here. They didn't do that anymore. They made sure they were both either round or both square. But at that point, they had a problem. And I love the guy who was at the head of it. Failure is not an option. 
And when all things started to look bad and people were talking about, boy, this is a bad day, he looked, he turned to them and he said, this can be our finest day. Glory to God it was, wasn't it? We still look back and remember all that. But we've had times we look at things and we can look at our supply and our supply isn't there. It's not there. We can get discouraged. I've told you this story before. I've, a long time ago probably told you, but you know, we were down there at Ken's. I was first starting in the pizza area. Wasn't there for more than um, uh, um, uh, two months or so. And somehow, I don't even remember how this was. It must have been a day off from school or something. But there was a day shift and I was on it. And it was a busy day shift and we were uh, two people short, I believe. There was a waitress short and there was a cook short. And we had, we got so many people came in for lunch that we had a pool, we had no dishwasher because everybody had to be making stuff to get ready for the, the people. And the waitresses were behind because they were short somebody. And so no dishes got washed all through lunch. All the dishes were there from lunch. And at about one o'clock, our manager said, well, I hate to leave you with this, but I have to go. And he left. It was 1 o'clock. We had until about 4.30 to get everything done for the afternoon, for the evening prep. We had to make all their salad bar stuff. We had to make their pizza dough because the pizza dough has to rise. It takes a little time to, to rise. We had to wash all those dishes that were there. We had to clean up the, the room, mop everything down, get everything ready, and do all that. Now, we were doing this with a cook short and a waitress short and a manager who left. But the whole story, the, the raw matter about the whole thing was... I had only been there about two months. The waitress had been there for like 13 years. She'd been there forever, I think. Probably still there. <laughs> she just loved working there. And, um, and the, the other cook that we had was newer than me. I think he'd been there a week. Now, that sounds like a terrible situation, but that's not it. It was also the day that the Prino truck would come. That was our big order. Everything came on the Leprino truck that wasn't produce. Cheese, meat, flour, um, everything in the store. Boxes, everything, napkins, everything that was ordered for the week came in on that truck. And so you had to rotate out all of the old stuff. Not old, but it, was, you know, it came in the last week. All the cheese, all the meats. You had to rotate all that out and then rotate the new stuff in. And get it all done. And get all the afternoon prep, the salad bar prep, the, getting the dough to rise. Getting all the different things made clean out the make table, do all the, all the stuff by 4.30. It's 1 o'clock. We have three and a half hours to do all this. And then he left. Now, we had a choice. We could look at each other and say, man, let's forget this. They don't, if he don't care, we don't care. Let's leave. <laughs> but we didn't do it. Now, she was a real trooper. We got, it done. We got the, the guy who was the rookie. And we said, look, you go in the back. You just wash dishes. So we put him in the back and washed dishes. And so Chris, she was the guy. She, she said, look, I'll handle everything up here. She ran the ovens. She ran the make table. She took care of the front. She did everything in the front. She answered the door or answered the phone. She did the whole thing up front. And so then I went on back there and I just rotated all the food out, got ready for the new stuff to come in. When the Leprino truck came in, we fed the new stuff in. We got the prep done. We got the dough made. At 4.30, we were sweeping and mopping, just sweeping up the floor, mopping the floor, getting the last parts of it done, and the manager walks in the door. And his first words were, did Leprino not come? Oh, no, no, they came. It's all the way. And he goes in the back and he sees all the dishes are done. 
And he just, his mouth dropped. He said, how did you guys get it all done? Oh, we did. It's fine. I'll see you. Yeah, was, come on under the shift and we, we could leave. And, but, you know, we came out of that feeling good. Because we got something that looked to be impossible and got it done. How many stories do you have in your life where you looked at something, you thought it was impossible, and you got it done? And you look back on that and you remember those stories and you say, oh, that's so good. It kind of energizes you, doesn't it? Because it looked like you couldn't get it done. Because you lacked some things. But I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No matter if I lack, no matter if I have abundance, I can get it done. And you went in there and you got it done. And you came out of there how? Content. Strengthened. Feeling good. Didn't you? Oh, that was fun. That was good. Well, some of the things that Satan wants to try and do, wants to, wants to, wants to get us distracted with, are in this area. And we have to make sure that, that we don't let that continue to go on. We have to understand that, first off, folks, what I don't have, the things that I don't have, if I look at size of my life, what I don't have won't stop me. I only need, I only need what I have. I have to begin to say that to myself. I only need what I have. You don't just get up in the morning and just look at yourself in the mirror and say, I only need what I have. Yeah, glory to God. I can get all things done with what I got. God through me can get all things done with what I have. If I need it, God will supply it. But too often the devil wants to get us to look at what we don't have and become discontent. What I don't have won't stop me. Don't sit there and say, well, God, I'll be happy to do this for you, but I need this. And until you get me this, I can't do anything. God doesn't like that. Paul, Paul says, whatever state I am in, not whatever direction I am going. He's not saying be content with any direction that we're going. He's saying whatever state that I am in. doesn't matter the state I am in. I'm going to be content. Now, for direction, well, that's where God wants me to be. I'm going to pursue that thing. I'm not going to be content until I accomplish that for God, until I do that. Paul says, whatever state I am in, not whatever direction I am going. Whatever state. I can be always achieving. Oh, Father God, I'm going to get, I'm going to move over there. I'm going to go in that direction. That's okay. But what I have, this is good. I'm not going to let Satan distract me. By getting me off and thinking, well, I don't have this. Well, I need to have that. Well, if I don't have that, then God doesn't love me. I like that uh, video we had in the beginning. You know, the one lady, she's happy with eight ounces of Coke. Now, if that had been a Pepsi in there, I wouldn't have even shown it to you. <laughs> Just having fun. She got that eight ounce of Coke. So happy with that until she saw somebody else had something bigger and greater. We are content with what we have until we see someone has more. Someone has better. We don't know what it took for them to get more or to get better. All I know is they have it. I don't. That's not good. So that's one area. First Kings chapter 11. We put this one. The first one is contentment. Satan wants to try and get you, get you off in that area. The other one is beguilement. Now, I could have used another word in here, but I looked up beguilement. And since it also ended the same way contentment did, it had to be a good word. But uh, I like the definition of this. I even left it in your outline for you. To influence by trickery, flattery, etc. To mislead or delude. To take away from by cheating or deceiving. To charm or divert. 
to distract the attention of. That's beguilement. That's a pretty good word. Describes quite a bit. So here's what the enemy is trying to do. To influence by trickery, flattery and such, to mislead or delude. To take away from, in other words, take away from me by cheating or deceiving. To charm or to divert and to distract the attention of. This is what he's trying to, this is what a, a tactic he's trying to do to get me off course. To beguile me. If Satan can completely mislead you, he will at least try. Oh, I'm sorry. If, if Satan cannot completely mislead you, he will at least try and delude you. All right. If I can't completely mislead you, let's just try and delude what you think you know. And this will just get you off a little bit. We get you off a little bit now. We can get you off a little bit more later on. He will attempt to cheat or deceive you away from God's plan, will, and purpose. He will attempt to cheat or deceive you away from God's plan, will, and purpose. It is not God's will for you to go that way. It is Satan's, and he will attempt to cheat or to deceive you into it. He wants to charm you to worldly things and divert you from godly ones. Because he knows, all right, at first you're not going to see any difference in your life. But as you begin to get more and more charmed by the worldly things and diverted from the godly ones, you won't even notice the difference in your life. You won't even notice that you're getting off. The method or means are not important to Satan. Only the end result. He doesn't care what method. He doesn't care what means he gets you off. All that, he mat all that matters to him is the end result that he gets you off of the will of God, off of the direction, off of the things that God has said are blessings for your life, off of believing the Word of God and into doubting the Word of God. That's what he wants to do. First Kings chapter 11. But King Solomon loved many foreign women as well as the daughter of Pharaoh, woman of the Moabites, Ammonites, Edomites, Sidonians, and Hittites. From the nations of whom the Lord had said to the children of Israel, You shall not intermarry with them, nor they with you. Surely they will turn away your hearts from after other gods. Solomon clung to these in love. Now, it doesn't question whether he actually loved them or not. It just says he loved them. We don't really need to question that. It doesn't make any difference. Whether it was a real love, whether it was a bad love, fake love, it don't matter. He loved them. And that's all that God's Word tells us about it. He loved them. He loved many women. Foreign women. Now, the will of God was stated in this area, in the Word of God, don't go after the foreign women because the foreign women are worshiping foreign gods and they will bring the foreign gods to you. And he told them they will get you to follow after the foreign gods. Don't do it. God was pretty clear about that in the Word of God. Now, Solomon was blessed with more wisdom than anyone in the face of the earth had up to that time had more understanding and more wisdom, and yet look at how far off he got in the direction that God had for him. Because Satan came in and beguiled him, deluded him, steered him in a way that was not the way that God would have him go. Verse 3, And he had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines. 700 wives and 300 concubines. That's a thousand women at the same time. 
1,000. He didn't get them all at the same time. He got them a little bit at a time. So can you imagine? Think on this. Here's Solomon. He's got one wife. At some point in his life, he had one wife. And while he has one wife, he begins to date number two. What do you think that did in the home? And then when he marries number two, how do you think number one felt? And then while he has number one and number two, he begins to date number three. And I'm sure that there were struggles in the first couple of ones, but after 10, 20, 30, there may not have been as much struggle. And after 100, probably no struggle at all. And then he just kept on going up. Now he's got 1,000. 1,000 foreign wives. All bringing in their, their stuff. Foreign idols. And he had 700 wives, princes, and 300 concubines, and his wives turned away his heart. For it was so, when Solomon was old, that his wives turned his heart after other gods. I don't know how long he didn't turn away from God, but apparently he had a number of wives and did not turn away from God right away. You see, Satan is content with deluding you. Not getting you away from God, but putting the necessary pieces in place, knowing that eventually he'll have success. For it was so when Solomon was old that his wives turned his heart after other gods and his heart was not loyal to the Lord his God as was the heart of his father David. Can you imagine Solomon who God has this special visitation. What do you want me to do for you? You tell me what you want to do, I'll do it. No matter what it is, I'll do it. And he says, give me wisdom. And God says, all right, and since you didn't ask for these other things that you could have, I'm going to give you those two. And God gave him wisdom so much so that people came from all over to hear the wisdom of this man. He had gold. I believe during his reign, silver was not even considered a valuable metal because they had so much of it. And just, I mean, they're, they're making doors and shields out of gold. If you want to make a good shield, folks, don't make it out of gold. And it's not a good material for shields. won't stop a whole lot. But it's great for show. And that's what he had it for. He had it for show. Can you imagine? That's it. Get the idea. You know what? I've been trying to figure out what to do with all that gold we got there. You know, we built the, my house and there's gold all over it. And we built the house of God and there's gold all over it. And I just got an idea. How about if we make some gold shields? And the guys who can come out, you know, they can come out with the gold shields and it'll look really good when the sun hits the gold shields and shines off. Man, that would be great. Can you imagine trying to find something to do with your gold? You got so much gold, got to find something to do with it. So you make shields. That's pretty good. And despite all that, despite God doing all that for him, people came into his life and they said, why don't you worship this God? Why don't we build an altar to this God? You know, I used to worship him and make me really happy. And eventually when he was old, his wives turned his heart after the other gods. And his heart was not loyal to the Lord, his God, as the heart of his father David. For Solomon went after Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, and after Milcom, the abomination of the Ammonites. Solomon did evil in the sight of the Lord and did not fully follow the Lord as did his father David. Then Solomon built a high place for Chemosh, the abomination of Moab, on the hill that is the east of Jerusalem. And for Molech, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And some of these gods are absolutely horrific in the ways that you worship them. We're not going to get caught up into that right now, but those last two, you should look them up. And he did likewise for all his foreign wives who burned incense and sacrificed to their gods. So the Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned from the Lord God of Israel who had appeared to him twice. Two times 
God appear. How many of you have had God appear in the way that Solomon had him appear once? And you're still following after him, and here's Solomon. Had God appear twice. Don't ever think that, well, God, if you just appear before me and say this, I'll be good. Remember, need and lack. Well, I need this. I don't have this. If I had that, I'll be content. Mm-mm. Appeared to him twice. And had commanded him concerning the, this thing, that he should not go after other gods. But he did not keep what the Lord had commanded. So in one of the times that he appeared before Solomon, the Lord says to Solomon, Do not go after other gods. Can you imagine? Not just having it in the Word of God, but that God appears before you. Jesus appears before you and says, Do not have other gods. Do not pursue other gods. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And you go off and you do. Can you imagine that? Therefore, the Lord said to Solomon, Because you have done this and have not kept my covenant and my statutes, which I have commanded you, I will surely tear the kingdom away from you and give it to your servant. Nevertheless, I will not do it in your days for the sake of your father David. I will tear it out of the hand of your son. However, I will not tear away the whole kingdom. I will give one tribe to your son for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. Now the Lord raised up an adversary against Solomon, Hadad the Edomite. And he was a descendant of the king of Edom. For it happened when David was in Edom and Joab, the commander of the army, had gone up to bury the slain after he had killed every male in Edom. Because for six months Joab remained there with all Israel until he had cut down every male in Edom. Then Hadad, that Hadad fled to Egypt, he and the certain Edomites of his father's servant with him. Hadad was still a little child. Then they arose from Midian and came to Paran and they took men from them, with them from Paran and came to Egypt to Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who gave him a house, a portion food for him and gave him land. And Hadad found great favor in the sight of Pharaoh so that he gave him as wife the sister of his own wife, that is, the, the sister of Queen Tophanes. Then the sister of Tophanes bore him Ganubath, his son, whom Tophanes weaned in Pharaoh's house. And Ganubath was in Pharaoh's household among the sons of Pharaoh. So when Hadad heard in Egypt that David rested with his fathers and that Joab, the commander of the army, was dead, Hadad said to Pharaoh, Let me depart that I may go to my own country. Then Pharaoh said to him, but what have you lacked with me that suddenly you seek to go to your own country? So he answered, Nothing, but do let me go. So this man, who was a survivor when David attacked the land, and God had reason for them to do so, we survived all this. He goes, flees to this land, is lacking nothing. It's in favor with the Pharaoh and lives in his house, married his, his wife's sister. And then as soon as he hears that David and Jonathan have gone, he makes plans to go on up there. And to become an adversary of Solomon. Now, you've got to really want to be somebody's adversary to do that, don't you? I mean, why not just stay down there in Egypt? Just let it all go. Why not just say, well, you know what? It wasn't so good, but you know, since I left, it hasn't been better. But he doesn't do that. And God raised up another adversary against him. Rezan, the son of Elida, who had fled with his lord Hadazer, Hadadazer, king of Zobah. And so he gave men, he gathered men to him and became captain over a band of raiders. When David killed those of Zobah, and they went to Damascus and dwelt there and reigned in Damascus. And he was an adversary of Israel all the days of Solomon beside the trouble that Hadad caused. And he abhorred Israel and reigned over Syria. 
Then Solomon's servant Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, the Ephraimite from Zerah, whose mother was Zeruah, a widow, also rebelled against the king. And this is what caused him to rebel against the king Solomon, had built the millow and repaired the damages to the city of David, his father. The man Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor, and Solomon, seeing the young man was industrious, made him the officer over all the labor force of the house of Joseph. So he was an industrious guy. He was a, a guy you could put things in charge of, and he got, got there and got things done. Now, it happened at that time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite met him on the way, and he had clothed himself with a new garment, and the two were alone in the field. Then Ahijah took hold of the new garment that was on him and tore it into twelve pieces. And he said to Jeroboam, Take for yourselves ten pieces, for thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Behold, I will tear the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, and I will give ten tribes to you. But he shall have one tribe for the sake of my servant David and for the sake of Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen out of all the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Sidonians, Kamosh, the god of the Moabites, Milcom, the god of the people of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways to do what is right in my eyes and keep my statutes and my judgments as did his father David. However, I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand because I have made him ruler all the days of his life for the sake of my servant David, whom I chose because he kept my commands, commandments and my statutes. But I will take the kingdom out of his son's hand and give it to you, ten tribes. And to his son I will give one tribe, that my servant David may always have a lamp before me in Jerusalem, the city which I have chosen for myself, to put my name there. So I will take you, and you shall reign over all your heart desires, and you shall be king over Israel. So his heart desired to reign. Then it shall be, if you heed all that I command you, walk in my ways and do what is right in my sight, to keep my statutes and my commandments, as my servant David did, then I will be with you and build for you an enduring house, as I built for David, and I will give Israel to you. And I will afflict the descendants of David because of this, but not forever. Now, think about this. Jeroboam is handpicked by God to be the next king, but the king over the northern tribes. If God is going to pick somebody, he's going to look for certain characteristics. We know what he looked for in Saul. We know what he looked for in David. So there have to be similar things to what he looked for in Jeroboam. So Jeroboam is looking about the kingdom. Notice that it says about Jeroboam, I will give you all that your heart desires. You will reign over all that your heart desires. So it had to be in his mind, in his heart, to reign over Israel. Now, if you want to reign in place of the guy who's reigning now, then generally you don't like what's going on. If you like what's going on, don't you just sit there and say, man, what a great king. I am so glad to be alive. While Solomon is king, things have been wonderful. Things have been great. But that's not, doesn't come up in your heart then. What comes up in you is that you don't like how things are. You know, we have a presidential election coming up. We have people that are coming up to run and they all want to say, well, we don't like this. So therefore, we're going to change it by doing this, right? It's the same thing back there. Jeroboam is saying inside of himself, I don't like some of these things that are going on. Now, if you're God and you're looking for certain qualifications, isn't one of those qualifications to bring the nation of Israel back to God? Aren't some of the things that would have to be going on in Jeroboam's heart is, look, we're going out here, we're worshiping Kamosh. We're over here, we're worshiping Ashtoreth. We shouldn't be worshiping these folks. We should be worshiping God. If I was to reign over this land, I'd make them all get rid of those things, tear down those high places. That's what I would do. And this desire is building and building. And then the prophet meets him and says, God's going to do this. He's going to give you all that your heart desires. You're going to reign over all your heart desires. All you've got to do is worship God alone. Oh, yeah, that'd be no problem. 
I've been looking forward to this opportunity. And what happens? You all know the story with Jeroboam. What happens when he takes over? He goes in another way. He gets deluded as well. He gets beguiled by the enemy. He buys into a lie and doesn't buy into what the Word of God says is true. Verse 40. Solomon therefore sought to kill Jeroboam, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt. Now, we don't know exactly what transpired. It may just be that Solomon saw that the anointing had gone on to Jeroboam, just as Saul saw that the anointing went on to David and persecuted him for that. It doesn't give us a detail of that, but Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, to Shishak, king of Egypt, and was in Egypt until the death of Solomon. Now, the rest of the Acts of Solomon, all that he did, and his wisdom, are they not written in the book of the Acts of Solomon? And the period that Solomon reigned in Jerusalem over all Israel was 40 years. And Solomon rested with his fathers and was buried in the city of David his father. And Rehoboam, his son, reigned in his place. Solomon, the wisest man, was beguiled by the enemy. He was steered in the wrong direction. The way that the enemy came against him was to bring the foreign women in who would bring in the foreign gods. And it took a while. It wasn't until he was old that this happened. It took a little while. But he eventually wore down and he began to not only worship these gods, but to build places for them. Not just allow his wives to worship these gods, but to become involved in the worship. Solomon's fall. Well, he had God's word, didn't he? Then God comes in two times. God appeared to him personally through Jesus Christ. Despite that, he went with his experience and his contentment. He went with how things were going. He went with where he was content. And he allowed the devil to come in and to cheat and to steal what was his. Too often, folks, we're doing the same thing. We're going with, well, I'm not content. I'm, I'm discontent with whatever. How many have been at work and you're discontent at work? Well, I just get another job. You know, if you're discontent with your dog, you can take it back. If you're discontent with your cat, you can take it back. We can get discontent with our relatives. We can get discontent with our neighbors. We can get discontent with our house. We can get discontent with our cars. We can always find things to become discontent with. And if we are always going around finding things to be discontent with, if we allow those that field to open up, we have a problem. We are getting the field ready for whatever seeds that Satan wants to put in our life. Don't let him do it. He's going to try and beguile you. He's going to try and cheat what is supposed to be yours and take it away. Solomon was not to have these adversaries in his life. God would have helped them stay out. But instead, God removed his protection from it. And these people came and, and they were a problem for him. And God couldn't do anything about it because of where Solomon had allowed himself to go. Satan was able to get in and to cheat something from Solomon, to beguile him, to delude him, to cause him to not believe the word that God had given him and to believe something different. It happened with Adam and Eve in the garden. It happened with Israel in the wilderness. It happened with Israel in Egypt. It happened with Abraham. How many times we just fall into these things and we allow the enemy to cheat us to beguile us, to tell us things that are not so, to get us to be content with things that God said, that's not for you, but I've become content with it. If I'm content with it, I'm not going to get rid of it. 
There's some, some things we can become content with. Not that we like it, but we're just content. Well, this is just one of those things i got to carry for God. No. Don't let that go on. Don't let that go on. Put this here in the end, end part of it. To understand the word through experience is to be beguiled. My wife and I were talking about this yesterday. As far as experience in the word. Too many people take the word of God... And they try and understand what the Word of God has to say based upon their experience in life. If you do that, you are open for deception. You will be deceived. Don't wonder about it. You will be deceived. To understand the Word through experience is to be beguiled. You will be deceived because you cannot understand the Word of God through yours or anyone else's experience. To understand the word through supply. Well, I have need or I don't have need. I'm content or I'm discontent. If I try and understand the word through supply. Well, I don't have this. Well, I got this because I did it this way. How many times have we heard people say, Well, I did this and it worked, so it must be right. I got what I needed. Have you ever heard people say that? I mean, we got people that are out there, they pray to St. Christopher. Why? Well, my mother prayed and she lived to be real old. <laughs> We're judging by supply. As long as the supply came, then that must be the way to get it done. We don't care what the Word of God has to say. If you try and take people like that, say, where does it say in the Word of God to pray to St. Christopher? Well, I don't know where it says it in the Word of God, but I know it works. We got people in the full gospel area, they want to plead the blood all the time. And we were, we told you that story. We were listening in the shop to this guy. He was teaching about it. Rhema, Rhema graduate. Has a Rhema church. Well known. And he even told his mom, Mom, that's not in the Word of God. And his mom said, Well, I've been doing it all these years and it's worked for you and it's worked for me. Kept you safe, kept me safe. I'm going to keep doing it. So he started. But he even said it's not in the Word. <laughs> See, we're judging by supply. If I get the supply I want, I'll keep doing it this way. If I don't get the supply I want, well, I'll, I won't do it that way. you got people that are out there saying, Well, I started praying in the morning. And ever since I started praying in the morning, things have been going great. They judge the Word by the supply. Now, all of a sudden, something happens in the morning and they don't get to pray. What happens to their head? Oh... Today's gonna, oh, today's not gonna go, oh, I just know something bad's gonna happen. And you'll hear it out of their mouth. I've been praying every morning and things have been going great, and then all of a sudden today something happened, and I didn't pray, and bad things happened. I just know it. I, they're judging the word through supply. That's a form of works righteousness, folks. It's not what we're called to. You don't have to work for these things. To understand the word through experience is to be beguiled. To understand the word through supply, I am still open to being misguided. Don't do it. To understand my experience and supply through the Word is wisdom. To understand my experience and supply through the Word is wisdom. That is godly wisdom. Because the experiences I have in this world are not readily understandable. But through the Word, God will give me understanding. God will give me insight as to what's going on. God will help me to understand it. But as long as I try and understand the Word through these other things, I am set up for failure. We can't do it. Proverbs chapter 2. 
My, and I, I, I cut off here, your outline of verse 19, but it was real tough for me to, to cut this off. Because you know, I, I cut off at this verse and I read, now we've got to keep going. Now we've got to keep going. So just keep on going. When you get on home, read the rest of the chapter. Because it's all good. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you incline my, your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Who is readiness? These are, this is what David passed on to Solomon. And Solomon's writing it down for us. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you so that you're so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding. Understanding does not jump off the page at us. We've got to apply our heart to understand things. Yes, if you cry out for discernment and lift up your voice for understanding. I mean, I've got some situations in your life you need some understanding on. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. For the Lord gives wisdom. From His mouth comes knowledge and understanding. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. You want to walk uprightly? You want to have that shield? You need the wisdom of God. You need to press in for God's understanding and not taking the shallow understanding that people get. Well, as long as I pray to this, as long as I do it this way, it seems to work. What verse are you standing on? I don't have a verse on it, but I just know that if I do it, it's all gone, people. Grow up. Not you. You know, other people that you, that you know. For the Lord gives wisdom. Well, that's good. what verse we leave off at? Seven. He stores up sound wisdom for the upright. He is a shield to those who walk uprightly. He guards the paths of justice and preserves the way of his saints. He does what to the way of his saints? Which ones? The ones who walk uprightly. The ones who press in for understanding. Who apply themselves for understanding. The ones who attain wisdom. God will preserve the way of the saints because your way is preserved because you understand things through God's eyes. Not through man's. Because you have pressed in to understand the wisdom of God. Not man's wisdom. You're walking at a different level of understanding. Then you will understand righteousness and justice, equity, and every good path. Every good path. That means that you are given a choice of a couple of different directions to go. The good ones just jump out at you. There's a good one. That's that's a bad one. That's a bad one. That's no good there either. That path there. mm -mm, Stay off of that one. Don't jump out at you. You will understand the good path. You'll just know this is a good one. I can go this way. When wisdom enters your heart and knowledge is pleasant to your soul, discretion will preserve you. Understanding will keep you. How often do we blame things that happen where we don't feel like we were kept or preserved? Well, I didn't do this. I should have prayed. I didn't read the Bible today. I always read something in the Bible in the morning. I usually always pray in the morning. I always... And we always look at these things. That's not what this verse is saying. We want our way preserved. We want us to be kept. It's wisdom and understanding. To deliver you from the way of evil. From the man who speaks perverse things. From those who leave the path of uprightness. To walk in the ways of darkness. Who rejoice in doing evil. There are people out there who rejoice in doing evil. And delight 
in the perversity of the wicked, whose ways are crooked and who are devious in their paths, to deliver you from the immoral woman, from the seductress who flatters with her words, who forsakes the companion of her youth and forgets the covenant of her God. For her house leads down to death and her paths to the dead. None who go to her return, nor do they regain the paths of life. We need the wisdom of God. We need to press into God for understanding. We need to stop looking at our life on a supply side. What do I have need of? What do I have abundance of? We've got to stop doing that. We've got to stop looking at our life at contentment. Well, I'm content here. I'm not content there. So I'll leave this and I'll go over here. No, God will give you understanding in the situations that you have. God will give you wisdom in the situations that you have. Don't ever be led by contentment. Be led by God. Make sure you're led by God. I told you the stories of some of my jobs that I had. Working over at Ken's Pizza. Enjoyed it for two years. Loved the job. But the first couple of months, I hated that job. First couple of months, I thought I'd miss God getting into that job. And I was real sure that God wanted me to work there. So much so, that's the only place I put an application in. I was convinced that God wanted me to go down to Ramah until I got there. Then I was sure I missed it. I took up a job working for Kelchner's Horseradish. For the first couple of months, it was a boring job. It was dull. I didn't like going. The only thing I liked about it was it paid me money. More money than I had been paid up to that time. That's the only thing I liked about it. It was boring. It was taking me to places I didn't want to go. And then it just blossomed. became fun. I enjoyed it. But if I was led by contentment, I would have left two jobs, both of which were phenomenal. Both of which I enjoyed. Both of which made a great impression on my life. You can't be led by contentment. Just because you have discontentment for things in your life doesn't mean that God doesn't have you there. Remember what Paul said, I learned how to be with and how to be without. How to have abundance and how to have lack. How to be hungry and how to be full. He learned it. Our prayer needs to be, Father God, I thank you that you will help us to learn. I want to become a believer, not a doubter in the things of God. In order for that to happen, I need to walk in understanding of what's going on in wisdom and how to behave. God will help you do it. Your job that seems to be doing nothing for the kingdom of God, but it's doing something for you, God will give you wisdom how to apply it, how to to go about it. He'll give you understanding. He'll help you understand that job better. Press into Him. Find out from Him. All right, God, how do I do this job better? How can I minister to the people that are around me? How do I be a light for you? God will help you to do it. Thank God for the, for the way that He empowers us, for the way that He takes us along. We can get off course. It's easy to get off course. It's harder to stay on. But you can stay on course if you do the things that God says. Whatever He says in His Word, you just do it. You stay with it. You don't believe the things that are going on. You don't believe the things the world tells you. You don't believe the things that supply is telling you. Contentment is telling you. You don't do that. We started off, it might be easier for us to be content with what God has said He wills for our life. If only we didn't see other things going on around us that were better or worse. 
than what we have. We don't understand how they got there. I don't know what those other people pressed into to gain understanding, to walk in wisdom, that they are at the level that they are now. I don't know what it was. All I see is where they are now. What I need to understand is I need to be content with what God has given me and show God I will be diligent with this so that you know you can give me more. Are you content? Or is your contentment based on something changing? What's your supply like? Are your focus always on the need that you have? Well, I need this and I need this. I'm lacking this supply. If I only had this, I could do that for God. I don't have it. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. To not base our decisions on supply, to not base our decisions on contentment, but to base our decision on understanding that comes from you and wisdom from your word. Father, we thank you for the help that you give us. Satan, our enemy, desires to throw us off course. He's, a, he's content if he just gets us a little off, knowing that once he gets us a little off, getting us more off down the road is even easier. He continues at it. Worked on Solomon until he was old. I don't know how old, but he was old. And finally, he starts to move off of that direction. Father, I thank you for the help that you give us. We honor your word. We respect your word. We do your word. We want to understand what is going on in our life by your word. Not understand your word through what's going on in our life. Thank you for the help that you give us to do it. In the name of Jesus Christ.